All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. Can you see it? Did you The puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. Adam's To the line, Hughes, Jones! Here, like I don't, I won't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in and Valentine's Day. Wow, we should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores. Don't waste all the good stuff on the off air. Let's go.
Hello Canucks fans, welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, episode 96 as we are making our way towards the big 100. And I'm lucky to be joined this week by a new guest host as David Quadrelli is on vacation. Uh, but first I just want to give a quick shout out to the presenting sponsor of this show, Parallel 49 Beer. Check them out, they got a ton of great summer beers coming in right now and I highly recommend going out and giving them a shot at 1950 Triumph Street. That's where you can find them. But let's get to my guest host here. Uh, all right, I'm going to try and do this in one take, similar to his videos. His name is Clay Emu. You can find him on Twitter at Canuck Clay. And I messed up the rest of the interview. He, oh, he is the founder of the good-looking Canucks Positivity Club. And this is his podcast take, all in one take. Clay Emo, how you doing? How was that intro? That was, I'll give that a 9 out of 10. That pause was a, was a bit tricky, but no, Chris, that is that is awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for trusting me. And I know, I'd say I, I'd have big shoes to fill, but I think Quads is 100 pounds lighter than I am. So maybe there are longer shoes to fill. How's that? Those Italians, though, they have big feet, Clay. I don't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I'm sure he's enjoying a, a well-earned vacation. When do you get your vacation, man? Uh, well, actually, the funny thing is the day that he gets back, I am actually going to MC a wedding for one of my best friends, so that's going to awesome. be a lot of fun. I'll be back on the island to visit them for a little bit, um, and it's my second MCing event, so I know, like, I got the nervous jitters out the first time I MCed. Um, my friends know that I like to talk. I have no problem speaking in front of crowds, so I feel like I'm going to be MCing a lot of weddings over the next few years here. Um, so I'm awesome. excited for that one because it's, it's a family friend of mine. I know his whole family. I know her whole family. Uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun to MC that one. I've already been trying to write jokes, and I know you've MC'd some wedding, haven't, haven't you, in the past, Clay? Yeah, I was just going to say, Chris, along with both of us being good-looking, one of the things <laughs> that we have in common, I think both of us have never met a microphone or a podcast or a video camera that we don't like. So um, I'm sure you'll be great. Yeah, I've been blessed to MC actually 17 weddings in my career. Oh, wow. Granted, I'm, I'm 20, 25 years older than you are, so I'm sure you'll catch up to me in no time. But yeah, I, I enjoy it. And, and you know all this. As long as you make it about the couple, not about yourself, but you move the night along and you make sure that, that everyone sees how much in love they are, I think you'll be just fine. Okay, Clay, here's the problem, though, because I'm going to just go with the flow as I'm emceeing this wedding. But the thing that I'm worried about is, like, I want to have some jokes. So how many yeah. jokes do you kind of pre-write before you go to an MC a wedding? Uh, great question. So for me, um, I, I there's a three kind of sticks that I do. I do my opening of how I know the couple, mm. and there's some jokes in there. You usually make fun of the groom. You rarely make fun of the bride, right? That's just kind of a recipe <laughs> for disaster. <laughs> and, then, and then my second stick or my second spiel will be, intro of the wedding party because you can you can do some jokes in there as long as you have some background info mm. but then i do this cool thing where i tell the engagement story the proposal story um i interview the bride i interview the groom and then i kind of wind their stories together and i may exaggerate or make up a couple things as i tell the story and uh and those are kind of the three uh you know pieces of uh centerpieces that i do for a wedding but to answer your question about the jokes themselves you know it's really funny man because i've done some where it's a very casual, very lighthearted, and they love getting roasted and roasting each other. And I've done others where I, I guess I didn't read the room well, where, <laughs> where you know, where they're traditional or or old, or they don't understand my jokes, yeah. or maybe a combination of all three. So, uh, with you and your vibe and and your sense of reading the room, I know you do that well with the Canucks dressing room. <laughs> I think you'll be just fine. But go if you know the couple well. I, I think that that's already uh, inviting you to have some fun with it, and and they trust you. Obviously, that's why they asked you. Yeah, no, exactly. I'm excited for it, and uh, I don't know. I think I might have been the only one who wouldn't be nervous in front of a, 
a lower crowd. They're supposed to have 200 people because of COVID. Now they're down to 50. So uh, I feel like right. that would be tough. Hey, eh? could you imagine cutting down 200 people down to 50 for your wedding? Well, that would be great. Then I'd end up bringing in Gail's relatives. To, I'm just kidding. I know she, she doesn't listen to this thing. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, back in the day, we got married as you know, 20 years ago. We just celebrated 20 years. So I can't imagine getting down to 50. And truly, uh, Gail's family would have taken all that. But, you know, we'd have to uh, make some cuts, just kind of like the Canucks did before the season started. <laughs> Most definitely. And uh, great transition. We should probably stop talking about weddings and probably get into some Canucks because... Uh, Clay, we could go on for, uh, I know you, I know me, we could talk for probably four hours about this, but let's try and jam it in uh, to a regular podcast time, not like one of my mega episodes of the past. Uh, let's talk right into Game 4, because I think Game 3 was something that we can get into a little bit more, but some, there was just something about Game 4 that stuck out to me, is just seeing, you know, th- that was an embarrassing performance. I'm going to come out and say it, and, and I know you're you're the leader of the positivity, but Clay, I heard you <laughs> on your live stream yesterday, and you know, you were trying to stay positive, and I think you really were, but... Uh, those comments that you got, and there was hundreds of them, uh, were definitely in the negative. And I just I saw what they did last night, and I just I was very let down because I know this Canucks team is so much better than that. I know they have such skilled players that are able to take over games. And last night I didn't see it. I saw another tough game from Troy Stetcher. I thought Jacob Markstrom was kind of the only shining part of that game. I, I have to do it in my post game report. I have to write about the top performers. I, I decided to go with the bottom pairing because. That was the only thing that kind of stuck out as being, you know, up to par from what I expect to see from this Canucks team. So what did you see in game four last night? Were you let down as much as I am? Oh, yeah, definitely, Chris. And it's funny how you were busy writing your post-game article for Canucks Army. I was busy doing my YouTube live stream, and I appreciate you popping on. And I think you and I had the same sentiment, is we were so excited to potentially go up 3-1 to one and... And, and now we're looking at a best of three, which on one hand, it can be a good thing. I, I know we'll, we can turn it and talk about that later. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you. Uh, Jacob Marshall was indeed the sole uh, you know, bright spot for the Canucks. And it, let's not overthink this or let's not overstate this. The Blues are simply wearing the Canucks down. Uh, do you remember, Chris, did the Canucks win one significant board battle last night? Oh, man, I, I would I would say no, honestly. I think that the board battles were bad. And I think continuing to make passes in the offensive zone, they just couldn't tie anything together, it felt like. I agree with you. And we heard JT Miller say in the postgame that they got to make Ryan O'Reilly and Dave Perron and Jaden Schwartz actually play some defense. I cannot remember O'Reilly once getting in trouble in his own end. And it kind of talks to how the whole ice team shifted. And, and we know that the Canucks won game one and two with their speed, with their transition through the neutral zone. And we know that St. Louis has pounded us in the boards in our own zone in games three and four. And yeah, I agree with you. Actually, the second bright spot, I thought limited minutes, right? Uh, Fandenberg and Ben only had 12 and 11 minutes respectively. But, uh, they were fine. They're, they're not the problem. And technically, 5-on-5, five five, we got outshot, but we we're okay because two of the three goals were, were on the power play by the Blues, one of them off our own defense and stick. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know what, there's there's something that needs to change, I think, in this lineup going into it. And we're going to get to the lineup, I guess, a little bit more because, like I said, we have, uh, we have a lot to talk about. But going back to it, you mentioned him, Ryan O'Reilly. Takes over the game last night. Looks like the Conn Smythe winner that we saw last year. I know earlier on in the season, uh, in the playoffs, a lot of people were mentioning, you know, Horvat's looking like O'Reilly was last year in the playoffs. Uh, last night, O'Reilly looked like O'Reilly last year, and he just <laughs> absolutely took over that game. There was not, like you mentioned, there was not a board battle that O'Reilly lost, I don't think. He was outstanding in the offensive zone. He was outstanding in the defensive zone for the limited time that he was in his defensive zone. And that line just ran through the Vancouver Canucks. They've been able to do it against the Lotto line as this series has progressed and gone on. You know, Travis Green got a little bit of a break for that Lotto line away from them. But we're going to come back in Game 5, and we're going to see that the St. Louis Blues are going to have that matchup 
again with the last change. And they're going to go straight back to that O'Reilly line on the lotto line. So what are you seeing from that lotto line? What is it that makes them able to dominate the Canucks right now at 5 on 5 yeah, I love what you said, Chris, about the O'Reilly and Horvat comparison. And I've made that comparison, too, um, especially when Horvat plays well. O'Reilly, though, we got to remember, he's in his 11th season, right? And his first five or six were with Colorado, then mm. three bad years in Buffalo, and now the last couple in St. Louis, whereas Horvat's only in his sixth season. And I looked at the stats, Chris, and Horvat's stats in his first six seasons are actually very comparable to O'Reilly's first six seasons. So uh, maybe that gives us some um, some hope for Horvat. But uh, you can see there's no weaknesses in O'Reilly's game. As you said, offense, defense, board battles, uh, the skill that he showed on that, that roof job uh, for the second goal. There's so many things he does well. And obviously, uh, along with Petrangelo, the leader of that, that Blues team. They are dominating the Canucks' bottom line because of, of a couple things. Obviously, they, are, they play harder. Um, they're just as skilled, right? You, you could argue that. Perron, as much as we hate him, he's very skilled. Yeah. Uh, Schwartz is very skilled as well and a good skater. So you could argue that they're just as skilled, they're just as dynamic, they're just as as fast. Uh, maybe not, but you know, pretty much to the lot of line, yet they play so much heavier. Like Pedersen, he tries hard and he, he's not afraid of contact, but he's still uh, how big he is. And Besser, I don't know about you, maybe we'll talk about this later, he yeah. seemed really disengaged last night and he seemed really disengaged for this entire series. And uh, he... Um, you know, a lot of offensive uh, forays die on a stick. I hate to say that. But mm-hmm. I, I like him a lot. I want him to do well. He can be a difference maker. So when you have one-third of your lotto line not going, which I think Besser is, he's not going right now, where you have all three guys of the Blues top line clicking, that makes a huge difference. And the will to compete, the experience, um, not to knock our guys, but, um, yeah, you can kind of see the, the separation right now. And you're right. Um, even though we won the two games as the away team, now Craig Ruiz is going to have last last change again, and it's going to be fascinating to see what he does with that O'Reilly. I agree with you. I think he's going to put him back on Pedersen and take away our only, you know, Horvath's kind of quieted down in the last couple of games. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the thing. Like, when you see that line going, and then you see the space that Ryan O'Reilly has on that second goal, that's something that I wonder if, okay, like, they're, they're obviously worried about that O'Reilly line when they're trying to yeah. generate offense, right? But it seems like they're maybe not worried about them in the defensive zone, and... Their power play was one of the best in the league. They scored at a higher percentage than the Vancouver Canucks power play did this season. They were the third best in the league for for goals per 60 minutes. I mean, this is a strong power play, even though they don't have the superstars like a Pedersen or a Hughes on it. You have to worry about these guys. But I think that when you see that much space, when you see a missed assignment from Troy Stetcher or Brandon Sutter, whoever it was on that play uh, for the even strength goal for O'Reilly, that's something that, that's just a huge lapse in the Canucks defensive zone at that point. I just think that you can't have certain things like that happen, especially with a guy like Ryan O'Reilly. He's he's going to score that goal 9 out of 10 times, if not all 10 out of 10 times, because that much space for a player that good in front of your net, they do not miss. So I wonder if the Canucks maybe need to key in a little bit more on that group because they've been limiting that line at getting to the net, I think. I think that though, like we see the shot share percentage, and O'Reilly is just ridiculous. His, I believe it's it's 55 to 11 right now for his shots for to against at 5-on-5. Five five. It's, it's a ridiculous stat to see. But that line, they're not really getting to the net as much. Like Perron's getting a lot of those one-timers off. O'Reilly's ringing shots off the bar, you know, from pretty far out. But the Canucks are doing a decent job of limiting them, I think, from getting into the net, but the scary thing that I saw when I was writing an article about Jacob Markstrom last night was that Markstrom is facing the second hardest 
average shots against. And that's the shortest shots against. I think it's 35 feet is the average shot that he's facing. That's the second worst in the NHL. And the first worst was Jordan Bennington. Because the Canucks were getting in tight and getting shots on him in these playoffs early on in the series. So when you see that this line is getting shots from him so so tight against Jacob Markstrom. Do you think that they need a key a little bit more on that O'Reilly line? Because... Though they haven't really scored a ton of goals at 5-on-5, five five, I don't think it's going to take long, and it might just be a hot streak from a two-goal game in Game 4 that kind of gets him on fire for the rest of this series. And, the, you know, the Canucks are going to have to watch out for this line because they can score a lot of goals as well as defend. Oh, you're right. And, I, yeah, I'd love to answer that. Um, before I do that, I want to bounce back to that goal that you talked about, Chris. Um, you mm-hmm. know, it was their top line, and basically, as you know, they created a two-on-one on the corner, it, uh, but it was one-on-two and they still won it, right? Perron had both the attention of yes. Edler and Stetcher, and we could, yeah, Biexa said Stetcher should have raced back to the net because Edler was the first one in the corner. Whatever it was, I, I think Sutter was okay. Sutter was worried about Jaden Schwartz, right, yeah. going to the net, so really, somehow, O'Reilly and Perron turned a, a basic two-on-two add Schwartz three-on-three with Sutter. They made it a, a, a one-on-two, and they won the one-out-of-two because then that's how Riley was so mm-hmm. was so wide open. Um, but that leads me to my answer, Chris. I think somehow, somehow, you have to play that unit as a five-man unit, as, as a five, you know, uh, the forwards in sync with the two D-men, whether right. it's Stetcher and Ether, who they seem to really key on Stetcher, as you know, in Meyer's absence. But uh, somehow... You got to play that that O'Reilly uh, line as a as a five man unit. Whether you're communicating more, whether you're sound positionally, uh, trusting each other, whatever it is, I don't know what they can change. Especially if they're not really practicing today, maybe the coaches are doing some video work. But I I, I think that's what you got to do because we, we've proven that we can't go as man to man like one on one against Riley or three on three line against line. Maybe it takes all five of them collectively. But of course, easier said than done. Exactly, and we're gonna we're gonna run with a couple more things about the Blues before we start to dive into the Vancouver Canucks a little bit more. Um, I thought they brought the physicality again here in Game Four. You know, I was expecting them to have a bounce back after the Canucks went up 2-0. They brought some physicality in Game Three, but I, I think that they also brought a lot of it in Game Four. Maybe not as much uh, big hits as we saw, I guess, in Game Three. But you talk about you know Horvat being run into the boards uh, very early on in this game. Is it is it something that, you know, it's been talked about a lot. I heard you talk about it on your live stream a little bit as well. There's a lot of comments coming in about it. Does it worry you much about this Blues team just being able to wear down this younger Canucks team right now in the playoffs? Because it seems like that's what they did all throughout their playoff run last year. Yeah, great point. And I'm not so worried that the Canucks players are going to get injured, you know, because they, they're professionals and they Pedersen knows how to do the reverse hit and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I do worry about the cumulative wear and tear. And even... Even, Chris, if we, and I'm still hopeful, I said Canucks in seven, <laughs> but even if the Canucks get through the Blues somehow, they're going to be a pretty one-beat-up team, as you know, <laughs> whoever they have to face, Colorado or Vegas in the next round, potentially. Yeah, I do worry, and it's fascinating that the Blues actually took out guys like Tarasenko, Steen, and Brower, and they put in three guys we've never even heard of, and they're <laughs> filling their role as well. They're bottom six. I think you could argue is outplaying our bottom six. And um, when those guys are fast and they can hit as well, um, top to bottom, like all 12 of their forwards can hit. And then there's 60 men who, uh, they're big, but they're not the best skaters. And maybe we can talk about this later is, is I think the Canucks, um, they were dominating when they were, they were skating around those guys in the neutral zone, but they haven't had that chance because they're too busy, you know, keeping their head on a swivel in their own mm-hmm. end. I, I agree with you. And I think that that's something that, that really swung in the Blues direction, whether it was, at some point in Game 3, or, you know, definitely saw it in Game 4. So, I, I think that the forecheck was that thing that I'm talking about. I think that, you know, the Canucks had a strong forecheck in Games 1 and 2. They were disrupting the passes out of their zone. But it seemed like, you know, Game 3 and 4, the Blues were pretty easy, 
Like, it was easy for them to get through their own zone, pass it out, get through the neutral zone with ease, and then get right into the Canuck zone, and then just... It was almost like they just would, would take another line change and get the puck right back in. They they seemed to have possession for the whole second period uh, in Game 4. That was one of the worst periods I've seen from the Canucks all year long. And I, I'm worried because I know that that was a strength. That's something that I wrote about a ton. Is we, when, as soon as we found out that we were playing the Blues, I was worried because Quinn Hughes didn't have great numbers against the Blues in the regular season. And he's our best guy at breaking the puck out of a forecheck. And I think that... That's the thing that's going to be, you know, when we talk about the Canucks being worn down in this series, it's going to be from that Blues forecheck, and I don't I don't want to have to say that it's already swung in that direction after Game 3, but maybe that's a huge reason at 5-on-5 five five why the Blues are able to have such a high possession number. No, you're right, and, you know, the, the optimist in me says this, and you, you, you know me, Chris, I would say, hey, and a lot of you are saying this, not just me, if you told me before the season started, or before the series started, that we're 2-2 two, two after four games, Every single Canucks fan would take that, but I don't like the way that it's the St. Louis Blues that have won the, the, the previous two games, right? You'd want to go the other way if you're just looking at that stat and that stat alone. Although, as you know, we're undefeated as the away team, and that's two of the next three. <laughs> yeah, I saw a lot of people pointing out in your live stream is because Mary Huey wasn't doing the anthem, which is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had one. Yeah. We had one guy who was blaming Marie for for the Canucks loss because yeah, when the Canucks win their Blues, when they're the home team, they are one and three, but when they're the away team, they are four and zero. Oh, so uh, read into it what you will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I remember she had a good record during the regular season, and I, yeah. I still believe she's the best at doing it. So I, I hope that we see more of her, uh, not less of her, as this series goes on. Um, I wanted to get into a little bit of when I thought that the Canucks did have some momentum. I thought that ending the first period with that Antoine Roussel fight, uh, Sammy Blaze, Sammy Bly, I don't know how to pronounce his name, and I really don't care, to be honest. Um, I think he's a dirty player, and I don't think that uh, that he'll be in this series long, because I think he's going to do something dirty here in the future, especially if the Canucks start to get a lead. But... What I what I want to say was, you know, Antoine Roussel doesn't hesitate at all. He sheds the gloves uh, as fast as possible, as quick as I do when you know when fresh scones are coming out of the oven. I know that I get in the kitchen as quick as possible for those. And, and Antoine Roussel basically shed the gloves at the same speed that I do there. And I, I'm just I'm wondering, what did you think about that fight from Antoine Roussel, who's a guy that you know obviously is going to be pesty. He's going to get in guys' faces. He's going to piss a lot of people off. If you're not a Canucks fan, no matter who you are, you're going to hate Antoine Roussel. Um, but what did you think about his response? Because that was right after the O'Reilly goal, and I think that that's something where where normally he probably just chirps back or he probably just gives a cross-check to the guy, maybe slashes him a little bit. But it felt like something clicked in Roussel's head. As soon as he got that shot in the back, he shed the gloves because he knew that his team needed it. What did you think about that? Because it led into a goal in the second period as well right after that fight. Absolutely. I'm giggling, Chris, because I, I, I do my homework. I knew that I was going to be helping you out today, so I listened to you, you know, your last couple podcasts, and I love how you and Quads, you said in the last one that you said, Sammy Blay, Sammy Blah, Sammy, I don't care. Like, how to pronounce his last name. <laughs> I really don't care. <laughs> it's so true. And the funny thing is that play started, it was actually Roussel and Sanford that were, um, right. you know, cross-checking each other. And then for whatever reason, Sammy B comes in <laughs> and he just beelines it for Roussel. And I was actually worried that I didn't know that uh, Sammy uh, Blaze, um, I didn't know that he dropped his gloves. I couldn't tell because yeah. all I saw was Roussel just teeing off on him. And then I was, I was grateful in, in a way, of course, that he did drop his gloves because then Roussel didn't get an instigator and he didn't, we didn't go shorthanded because of it. Yeah. But you're exactly right. I think Roussel, he's frustrated. He's only getting seven or eight minutes a game. He had a nice goal against Minnesota, but really, or was that against St. Louis? I can't remember now. Was that Minnesota? Uh, Minnesota, yeah. 
Yeah. So he hasn't really done much. You know, Travis Green's kind of been messing up his third and fourth lines, trying to see who's going double shifting Pedersen sometimes. We've seen all that. So I really think Roussel is frustrated. He's smart. He wanted to, uh, you know, change the tide. And you're right. Um, he's the kind of guy that other players would hate to play other teams other fans would hate just he's kind of like our ryan hartman right for 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 minnesota sort of thing or or our sammy play um so <laughs> yeah i i thought that was great um or i was scared that uh that he was going to get uh, an extra minor but he didn't and you're right that you know they had to have the connects feeling good about themselves going the in the locker room and then they came out and scoring 40 seconds into the, the second period which was wonderful to see and I think that, you know, they kind of blew an opportunity right after that goal as well. If you remember, right off the faceoff, there's a delay of game penalty, right? And, you know, they go right back to the power play. Yeah. You're looking at a 1-1 game at that time when you have you have momentum for the first time in almost two games. I feel like the whole, you know, I feel like aside from, I guess, you know, in parts of game three, they did control momentum, I guess, for a good part of the game until the end there. But I guess when you look at, you look at the game the way it was going in game four, you have this momentum, and you have this power play, and you have this deadly power play who didn't do anything in the whole game. And I think that that's an opportunity right there where you really need to dial it in, and that's when you want to get your best opportunity. I, I hated watching that drop pass again. Like, it's just – it's something that's just – it's killing me, Clay. Like, it's literally – it's driving me insane. I, my girlfriend's pulling gray hair out of my beard, and I know it's from the damn drop pass. So I need – like, you have skaters like Quinn Hughes. You have Elias Pedersen. Watch them gain the zone and just pass the puck off. That's how they get set up. Dropping it to Brock Besser, dropping it to JT Miller. JT Miller's fine with a run on him. I think he's another guy who can skate the puck in. But this drop pass, Clay, it's making me absolutely insane. Uh, what what did you see from the power play that didn't really seem to click last night? Yeah, I did read your post game, and I know uh, I know you hate the drop pass. I'm okay with it. It's not like the Canucks are the only team that does it, but you have to do it well. It doesn't make sense when your best puck handler, Hughes, is the guy doing the passing. Like, I get it that he he's probably the best passer, too. But you've seen St. Louis, uh, they almost let Hughes get a head start. Yep. They shade him from behind, and that that sometimes takes away the drop pass, which might be a good thing, but other times it makes it a lot more difficult than it needs to be. And you're right, Bester is not the right guy. Like, as soon as he gets over the blue line, 50% chances it's going back the other way. I, I just hate to say it. Right. Miller can come with speed. Horvat can come with speed. But, yeah, have Hughes or Pedersen just... Uh, beak one guy and now you're five on three like totally. that's that's pretty good right so yeah. i would agree with you and and then i think once they got in the zone i, I agree with your post game recap that i that i read that the the first period power plays were okay but then it got worse progressively as the game went on what i think chris i, I think they're too static i think they're too predictable you know that it's the triangle up top of mm-hmm. hughes Pedersen on the right and miller on the left and they don't use Bester. they don't use horvat nearly enough in the bumper or down below and just create more movement because you know that Hughes is going to wait and he's going to see which side is open, but they're not necessarily going to shoot. They're going to go back and forth. And you saw the Blues, they were able to play better positionally and block a lot of shots. And, and they, I think the Canucks power play was too static last night. I yeah. would love to see them move, switch places. Because we saw that, I think it was either in the St. Louis series or in the Minnesota series, when they kind of did some switches down on the half wall, yeah. it makes it less predictable. Totally, and we saw that, you know, yeah, like you mentioned, that play that Hughes came down the half wall makes a great pass across to, to Bo Horvat in the bumper zone. We saw Elias yep. Pedersen on the left side when there was kind of in the middle of a line change, made that great pass across to Tanner Pearson as well, like one of the most beautiful saucer passes I've seen in a long time. But it, you, you touched on something, Clay, and I heard you talking about this a lot, actually, last night on your live stream, was 
what is Brock Besser doing on this power play right now? He's down low. He's not really able to make a pass to Horvat. It seems like right now, like they really collapsed that spot. So I'm not, I'm not knocking Besser for not making that pass unless it's a one touch pass from JT Miller on the left side down to Besser and then quickly to Horvat. It seems like yeah. the Blues are, are really keying in on Bo Horvat and Elias Pettersson. They're giving JT Miller a little bit of space. They're giving Quinn Hughes a little bit of space. But as soon as that puck is is going towards Horvat, they're all over him. And as soon as that puck is on Elias Pettersson's stick, they're all over him too. So how, how would you like to see Brock Besser be used? Like, is is he a better option to have on the left side and maybe JT Miller down low? Because you looked at JT Miller's numbers and what he did in Tampa Bay – he was he was electric from behind the net. That's where he's got yeah. a lot of his assists. That's where he played throughout on that on that power play unit, whether if he was on the first unit or the second unit, because he saw time with both. He was there with Stamkos a lot, and setting up Stamkos in the bumper position was great for him there. So I, yeah. I wonder if maybe that's the move, because Brock Besser, though his shot hasn't been great, I've, I've seen it fling off his stick a couple times in this series and look like you know a Brock Besser shot a pass, and people say that you know maybe he lost a little bit of speed off of it after the wrist injury and, and his rookie season, but... I, I feel like it's coming back right now. Maybe that's the move is to put Brock Besser there and, and open up a door for another one-timer potentially, or you open up the chance to, to you know, just have a right shot in a different position on the ice that maybe is going to make the other players play a little different. Yeah, that's a great point, Chris. I, I think there's two things that you said that I agree with. With Besser, as we know, most of his goals are actually um, off wrist shots as opposed to a snapper or as opposed to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a one-timer. And, on the power play, sure, one-timer is nice, but as you on the power play, because the whole notion of that you have an extra man, you do have a bit more time in theory. So I, um, I, I feel that he gets, they really suffocate him and blanket him when it's five on five. He's not getting a shot off. So, but on a power play, philosophically, you should be able to have more time to get that shot off. So I would love to see him up, uh, yeah, switch places with Miller. The other reason why is Miller, um, I, I was watching a lot of his points from the regular season, Chris, and mm-hmm. he's an ex- Excellent passer. You, you oh. kind of talked about it. Him and Stamkos in Tampa. From the from the red line down, he had so many assists, primary assists this season from the red line down because he's smart. He's got awesome hands, and he, he's got great vision. So why not utilize that on the power play? And I remember early in the season when before Bester went got hurt, it was Horvat and Miller down below, and it was Bester on that sidewall, right? So why yeah. not try that because. Yeah, Bester's not as mobile as Miller, but maybe you just got to wind him up and let him and let him rip it, and then and then you have Miller and Horvat cleaning up some garbage. But yes, I think not not just power play, but a reg, you know reg, even strength too. There certainly wasn't enough traffic in front of Jake Allen, that made it way too easy for him. Yeah, I think so too. And you know what? You you see Horvat lead the team in power play goals in the regular season, which is something that probably shocks a lot of people. And you see him obviously have a couple of good ones in this series as well. And then you think, why aren't they using that bumper position as much? I saw Pedersen try and, you know, fire a couple shots off of Horvat's stick early on. He normally does it on the first power play every single time. Like, the first time Elias Pedersen gets the puck on the power play, he tries to bank it off of Horvat's stick and into the net. If it works, it works, and you get a power play goal early on in the game. But then if it doesn't work, you probably won't see it for the rest of the game from Pedersen. And I don't know, JT Miller just seems to... Maybe it's the Blues. I'm going to have to watch this a little bit more on the power play, but maybe the Blues are just collapsing on Horvat because they were burned by him early on in this series. But yeah. it, it seems like that's not even an option for JT Miller to pass it to. You know, like it seems like that Horvat's completely taken out of the play when JT Miller has the puck. And then, you know, when JT Miller has the puck or whoever has it on the left half wall, that's the best chance, I think, to get a really good shot attempt from Bo Horvat. If he's able to find just that little bit of space. And maybe that comes from more shots from Quinn Hughes on a one-timer. Maybe that forces the top guy on the penalty kill to go shade a little bit more to Hughes and open up some space from Horvat. So, I don't know. I think there's a lot to mix up with this power play. But, Clay, they had a lot of success 
uh, early on in the series and throughout the playoffs as well. Um, do you think that a change is needed, or do you think that there's just something that didn't click in Game 4 right now? Uh, yeah. uh, that's a million-dollar question, given that <laughs> if, we're not, if we're getting dominated 5-on-5, five five, we have to make our power play work, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it's really interesting what you said, though. I just want to – I'll answer that, but just jump back what you said about Horvat in the bumper position. Mm-hmm. In theory, if all four Blues guys, especially the two forwards, are coming down and making that pass impossible to get to Horvat, then in theory you think the guys up top, Hughes and Pedersen and Miller, should have a lot more space, right? right. So, uh, yeah, like, <laughs> that, that's natural space. And I, I know you did a really good analysis of the St. Louis Blues power play, too, where they, they create space because they have movement and they're not afraid to switch guys mm-hmm. on the – in, in their positions that I really think that's what the Canucks need to do I, it's two things to me it's more movement and it's quicker passes like Hughes is so accurate in his passing but he can also yeah, Brock Fester by the way when Brock Fester passes I'm not sure you notice he kind of passes how he shoots it like really hard yeah, like yeah. he's got to take a little bit off of his pass <laughs> and try not to do those cross uh, you know, cross crease ones yeah. um, but uh, I think for the Canucks power play overall I would love to see more movement and I, I would love to see uh quicker passing too because by the time they get in set up drop pass over the line and then make it all pretty 25 30 seconds gone already right yeah no it's true and i heard you talking about it maybe the puck is being tossed around a little bit too much maybe with those top three guys maybe they aren't including them enough like that's where and this is a word that i've been saying a lot i've been preaching a lot it took me about 10 episodes to pronounce it correctly uh but positional fluidity right you see that on a lot of these best power play units especially what you see with the edmonton oilers and tampa bay lightning do i think that you watch the Oilers, you know, Connor McDavid doesn't have a position on the power play. He goes where the puck yeah. is. He goes where the dangerous opportunities are. The Canucks, like you mentioned, they're just stagnant in a lot of their positions, right? It, it's going to be yeah. Miller's going to control the puck. He's going to pass it up to Hughes. Down to Pedersen. Back to Hughes. You know, is there a one-timer <laughs> open? Take it. If not, they just keep passing it with each other. And, yeah, it seems like maybe they need to just attack a little bit more. You know, attack the net. Be confident in your abilities. And maybe some more shots in Pedersen as well. Uh, you know, just a couple of wrist shots. We know how deadly his shot is. If he gets it over the shoulder of Allen, I think that's going to be something that the Canucks fans will be very excited for. Um, but, Clay, we're going to we're gonna look forward a little bit here uh, to Game 5 and Game 6, and as you call it, potentially Game 7 as well. So we'll get to the remainder of the series. On the other side, we're just going to cut to a quick break from our sponsors uh, before we dive into the rest of the series. I got Clay Emo here filling in for David Quadrelli, who's sitting on a beach drinking rum and Cokes, or as Dave calls them, Coke and Rums. Uh, but we will, <laughs> we will get to the rest of this series on the other side after these quick breaks. Alright guys, before we go any further into the episode, I just want to give a quick shout out to the presenting sponsor, Parallel 49 Beer. They have a bunch of their summer beers coming in right now, some fruity ones that they're mixing up, a couple of new sours, some double IPAs. And if you want to get all the latest updates, be sure to follow Parallel 49 Beer on Twitter and Instagram. Their Instagram stories are absolutely lit right now with all the new beers. Or you can head right down to their location and street kitchen on East Van. That's at 1950 Triumph Street. So head down there if you want to try some the new parallel beers and the last thing i want to do is give a quick shout out to zephyr epic as well you can follow them on social medias at zephyr epic z-e-p-h-y-r-e-p-i-c is where you can find them zephyrepic.com is where the shop is and right now they have a bunch of deals as they wrap up the summer with their closing out some specials on last year's uh nhl cards some of the magic cards are on sale and pokemon as well so if you're into that kind of thing make sure you get down with zephyr epic uh, and you can Use promo code Canucks Combo for $5 off your order as well as free shipping on every order over $50. So be sure to follow Zephyr Epic and Parallel 49 Beer on all your social medias. 
Alright guys, we are back. Thank you to the sponsors, Zephyr Epic and Parallel 49 Beer. Be sure to check them out on both the social medias. We got Clay Emo here filling in for David Quadrelli, co-hosting on episode 96 of the Canucks Conversation. We're about to look forward a little bit, but I think just before we get to that, there's a player that I want to discuss. His name has come up a couple times, Clay. It's Brock Besser. I heard you talking a lot on his stream. A lot of people were in there, you know, commenting on Besser's game. I saw some people in your comments saying that Brock Besser should be coming out of the lineup. Uh, I'm not going to go that extreme with it, but what is it about Brock Besser that you haven't liked so far in this series? Yeah, there's a couple of themes, Chris. Um, when they're in the offensive zone, he seems uh, like he, he's indecisive or he's lacking confidence. So, um, he's not the best passer. I kind of alluded to that a few minutes ago. He's not the best passer to start off. But when you're mm-hmm. when you're not playing with confidence, you just start second-guessing. You start to hesitate. And I love to see sharper play from him. That, right. That's the first thing. Also, on the defensive end, you know, he's never going to be like a Selkie winner or anything like that. <laughs> and you might, if we go back to Game 3, remember that crazy um, game-winning goal for the Blues where Hughes uh, you went around the net and almost collided with Besser, not collided, but, you know, Ryan O'Reilly stopped that. Right. And I, I watched that so many times from that end that end view, and Besser didn't do anything on that play. He kind of floated in and kind of just stood there on the right, and, and uh, uh, I just, I think that was a good um, example of, of sometimes he seems disengaged. Now, mm. uh, maybe it's his laid back. We saw him on the P.K. Subban um, <laughs> cooking commercial. That's just the way he is, right? He's, um, you know, you wouldn't know if he was excited uh, if, uh, you just can't tell because he is so laid back and maybe that's a good thing. It, it helps him get through, right. you know, get through the up and down of, of being a professional hockey player. But I would just love to see him more engaged and more, even when he took that penalty um, that led to the first blues goal, you kind of see him almost sauntering to the right. uh, in and out of the penalty box. I, I just want to see more from him. And it's there, you know, he, he had a great regular season. People were worried about his goal total, but that's because he became a, a more complete player defensively. Yeah. Uh, passing, all the skating, all those things. And he had a great series against Minnesota, maybe inspired by playing in his home state, or against his home state, I should say. They're playing in Edmonton, of course. But I, I just haven't seen an engaged Brock Besser for the past three or four games. And when you're one-third of your supposed best line, you've got to be, do better than that. Right. No, I completely agree with that, Clay. And yeah, I, I, when I saw him on that PK Subban commercial, I was thinking, you know, he's he's so nonchalant. I thought he was going to show PK how to make, you know, cereal with milk or something uh, when, when he came in there for the cooking show. But uh, yeah, he, he cooked it up, chefed it up with some salmon. I don't, I don't think he made that, but uh, but uh, good for him for getting on a commercial, I guess. And yeah, I think that we're seeing a similar thing on the ice with him. Is maybe there's something that's not clicking. And, and I touched on this early on in this podcast. I think that the Canucks are struggling right now just to to tie together three good passes, you know. And when that lotto line's in the offensive zone, maybe that's the big problem, right? When the puck is on Brock Besser's stick, is he the one that's breaking up the cycle? Is he the one that can't continue to keep the play going? The things that I've liked from Brock Besser, because there are some stuff, I know that a lot of people are giving him hate right now, and, and you know, some of it is is definitely due. Like, some of it is is worthy of, you know, him being criticized for. But the thing that I'm liking from Brock Besser is actually seeing him in the board battles. I think that you touched on a little bit. The his the game that he's well-rounded more this year is, is something that we're seeing in the playoffs. I thought, you know, he was excellent in the Minnesota Wild Series. You're completely correct with that take. And I think that if we got that Brock Besser for this final three-game series against the St. Louis Blues, this lotto line would be clicking at a higher rate. But the thing that I'm seeing is something like you just mentioned. And, yeah, I think you hit the nail right on the head when you said it at the start of this, Clay. Like, it seems like he's not decisive enough with his decisions immediately when he's in the offensive zone. And this St. Louis Blues team is going to get on you. They're going to get on you quick. You have to make the right decision in that split second that you have to choose what you want to do with the puck. 
And if, if Brock Besser's not going to be able to do that, that's going to really hurt that line. Because like I said, it just looks like they can't tie together three good passes. Like that's, that's not even a lot to ask. Three good passes in the offensive zone. Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, that's, that's what I think is holding the lotto line back from generating any sort of shots at five on five right now is the Ryan O'Reilly line is just able to, to break up their cycle. So I think they need to do something a little bit different, maybe take a few more shots and just, and just get to the net a little bit more, you know, bang away some goals. We've seen the, the goal that Brock Besser scored against the Minnesota wild. That was a huge goal. And that was from him being just around the net and being able to kind of finish, you know, in a weird position, but he was able to get that huge goal for the Vancouver Canucks. I just need to see a little bit more of that from him. And I do agree with you. The passing is the thing that's hurting me right now, even though he has, you know, quite a few assists so far in these playoffs, I just need to see him be able to consistently make good passes in the offensive zone. And that's what I think is hurting the lot of line the most right now in the offensive zone. No, that's a great point, Chris. And I, I should go back because I, I made it sound like Besser had an amazing Minnesota series and he's been really bad against the Blues. I did look it up. Actually, he has seven points in the postseason and four of them are from the Blues series. Actually, he has two points in game one and two points in game two. So it's not like he's been horrible, but I think like with the rest of the team, you just haven't noticed him the past two games. I will say this too about his passing. It's funny that we talked about the JT Miller, the, the nice tip-in right from the other shot that yeah. our only goal last night. I don't know if you remember that play, Chris, when the lotto line game, the zone, Besser had the puck, and he tried a simple pass to Pedersen on the on the boards, and he put it right through Pedersen's legs. Mm. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, then yeah. Harrison shot it behind the net, and Besser, to his credit, made a, uh, went towards the net and made a really good play, forcing the turnover that caused the puck to go to Edler, and then Edler gives it to Miller. So ultimately ended off well, but it actually started with a with a flood pass from Besser. And I'm not obviously I'm I'm not stupid. I'm not saying I can do any better, <laughs> but it's it just magnified when you need your best players to be your best players and, and yes, he he's struggling right now. And maybe it's only been two games, not all four as I um, originally said. Mm-hmm. Would you would you get to the point of thinking, you know, if Tyler Tafoli is healthy, would he go back to that line or are you not there yet? Yeah. You know, that's really interesting you think that because if Tafoli or you say that because if Tafoli plays you could, for the sake of changing things up, put him up there, Besser with Horvat. I also thought even if Tafoli doesn't play, imagine trying Jake up there for a couple shifts with Pedersen and Miller and, and putting Besser with, with Horvat, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I, I, that's tough to say, just like I would never go away. Like Some people in my live stream were saying, do you go to Demko in Game 5? No, you don't go to Demko in Game 5. No, no, and no. I loved how, actually, on your last pod, uh, your podcast, how you basically told Quads, you were adamant that it was going to be Markstrom and Allen in, in Game 3, right? Yeah. When you did the last one. And then and then the Quads were saying, no, no, I think they're going to go with Bennington. And you right away. So uh, I want to affirm you for your, your soothsaying <laughs> there when you, when you when it came to predicting goalies. Um, I don't know, though, if Travis Green would want to break up his top line if he thinks that that's the best line that gives him the best chance to score. That's so tough to say, but... I would love it if it was like, you know, kind of like in wrestling when the Royal Rumble, when you don't know that the guy's coming in, it's a surprise entrance. I love it. If like we got a tweet at 7 o'clock tomorrow night saying, Tyler Toffoli on the ice for a warm-up. That would be amazing. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I'll, I'll text Thomas Durant to see if he can hype it up. Maybe get Rob Fay in there to announce it. Uh, Tyler Toffoli <laughs> takes the ice. But um, that, that's the thing. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't go for it either. I The way that I would go if Tyler Toffoli was in, and I found it interesting early on in this playoff series when, when Travis Green was asked about injuries and players, um, he kind of mentioned, like, right now he's weighing out the options on what a player can bring if they're 80% versus what a different player brings at 100%, right? And I think that, 
you know, if you do have Tyler Toffoli able to return to the lineup, and it's it's so hypothetical to talk about Toffoli because none of us know what the hell's going on. I think Rick Dollywell had a little bit of reporting a couple days ago talking about that there was progress being made, but he also said nothing about Toffoli being close. Um, but I think it's good news that Toffoli hasn't left the bubble. You know, obviously that's good news to hear that maybe the injury isn't, you know, weeks. Maybe it is just something like days. So I think that him coming in for game five would be huge. Uh, I think him coming in and going on the lotto line, or the, sorry, I guess it wouldn't be the lotto line anymore. I think him coming in to play with Pedersen and Miller would be a mistake, though. I think that coming in right now, Tyler Toffoli could help the Horvat line. I've <laughs> I've been wanting to see it ever since they traded for this guy. Put him on the line with Pearson, put him on the line with Horvat. But Travis Green hasn't used him there at all. Would it shock you to see Tyler Toffoli come in and go right back to that line with Miller and Pedersen and then Besser drop down on the Horvat line? Because it just seems like something that Travis Green might lean in that direction, though a lot of fans probably wouldn't like to see it. Yeah, you know, it, great point. It wouldn't surprise me, but I am with you. I don't think it's the right move. And I was, um, you know, for the regular season, Besser only had one game with that top six before the, the season got shut down. Mm. But yes, I agree with you, Chris. I would love to see Toffoli play, have an extension run with Horvat and Pearson. We know the chemistry that, that Toffoli and, and Pearson have, so why not? And then you don't have to split that lot of line up. And it's funny you mentioned that because obviously that would mean the end of um, Louis Erickson, who is somehow the <laughs> quietest, not, but he's, the thing is, Erickson's not hurting the team. He's not really helping, but he's not hurting. Like, yeah. Pearson gets points, Horvat gets points, and Erickson's just there. <laughs> <laughs> no, 100%. I, I, like, I have my Erickson jersey hanging up right beside me here. If I was on a video, I'd be flashing it for you. But uh, it's, it's it's tough to see because, like, I try and pay attention to this guy. I try and watch Erickson, and I think, like, okay, Dave's really high on Erickson. There's something about his game that Dave really likes. I see that Erickson's really good at just getting the puck out of the blue line in the defensive zone, like, and forcing the other team to just, you know, have to get back in. I think a lot of Canucks are a little bit nonchalant when they get close to the blue line when really just get that puck past the blue line. Then the team needs to completely reset, whether you have position or, or possession or not. You know, like, they completely just have to reset their offense and everyone needs to clear and come back in. So it gives you an opportunity. I think that's what Erickson does well. And I think in games yeah. one and two, Erickson was actually helping in the cycle in the offensive zone. But in games three and four, I didn't see that from Louis Erickson. I didn't think he was helping in the cycle. But like I said earlier, and I've said it a bunch of times on this podcast, the Canucks really just couldn't tie together three good passes, I don't think. And, yeah. and what we're going to see is a change in this lineup, I think. And, you know, we've talked about Toffoli a little bit. I don't think that's a change that's going to happen. I don't think you think that's a change that's going to happen. I think we'd both be pleasantly surprised uh, if Tyler Toffoli did skate out with Rob Faye introducing him or maybe Al Murdoch yells something uh, live on his Twitter account. Or Al Murdoch's TikTok, by the way. Give that a check if you want to go. He's got some great videos on there. But um, I, I think the guy is Adam Gaudet. And, and I don't. Yeah. I, ta- I heard you talk about it a little bit. Um, a lot of people were saying it on your stream last night. And you were kind of entertaining some possible ideas uh, I recently just wrote about it. Uh, it's going to be coming out in the article on Wednesday, uh, game day. And I think that the uh, the move right now, and I don't think we're going to see it, but I I would be pleasantly surprised if we did, similar as I'd be pleasantly surprised if we see Toffoli. But in Gaudette's case, if he were to come out and skate on a line with Antoine Roussel and Jake Vertan and with Adam Gaudette back playing center and use it on a line that only plays maybe six minutes of five-on-five. Five. You know, you don't need to play them a ton because Travis Green already seems to sit Antoine Roussel and Jake Vertan in late in games. You might as well just lump and uh, Adam Gaudet into that group, and they don't have to play a lot in the game. If you're trailing or if you're leading, you know you don't have to play them a lot in the third period. Just have them there to help on your second power play unit because having Adam Gaudet and Jake Vertan on your second power play unit makes that unit so much better. 
And then what you're going to do is you're going to load up the fourth line, which is going to be end up being played like a third line, having Jay Beagle, Brandon Sutter, and Tyler Mott together. That's a line that Travis Green really trusts. I think that he wouldn't be mad at getting that line out there, maybe against the O'Reilly line at times, if it's possible to get a good change in, because that's a defensive line, a big, strong line that's you know full of penalty killers. And I think that if they can just get the puck in deep on the Blues and waste some time of uh, uh, Ryan O'Reilly's time on the ice, I think that's a good move as well. Um, so I think that's the move. I don't think we're going to see that, but how do you see Travis Green going with the lineup here? And if he does want to move, Adam got in into it. Yeah, I have a lot of time for your theory, Chris, and I'll bounce back to you in a second. If Godet comes in, which I think he should, because you're right, he helps our second power play unit immensely. And if, let's say you don't want to move Brandon Sutter out of the center spot, because we've seen right. that sometimes he plays better as a center, then you're simply bringing in Godet for uh, either Bertan or McEwen. I, I think that's fair to say, and likely McEwen, yeah. right, given given the, the ice time and the lack of, uh, you know, although that wasn't McEwen's fault, that penalty. But I would, I would, I would keep Bertanen in. I keep Gaudet in. Maybe you put Gaudet on the third line with Roussel and Sutter. And then I actually thought about putting actually Gaudet in for Erickson on the second line, right. dropping Louis down because Louis played with Brandon Sutter before. So you could go yeah. Pearson, Horvat, Gaudet, get more offense. But I'm not sure how the defensive structure would work. And then the third line of Sutter with Roussel and Erickson. We've seen that line before. And then you sell your Beagle Mott, either Bertanen, McEwen. Mm. But I do have a lot of um, I do have a lot of time for what you were saying as well in in bringing in Gaudet. And the only thing that would concern me, and I'm sure it concerns you as well, is the face-offs. We know that's not his strength right now. Yeah. And he'll get eaten alive by a guy like O'Reilly if he ever had to do that with St. Louis having the last change. Mm. So maybe that's where Horvat comes in, takes a draw, and then when it's safe to do so, he jumps off, right, and Gaudet comes on. But, yeah, um, yeah I have a lot of time for that. Uh, but I do think you need Gaudet in fresh legs, just a guy who you know he's going to play his heart out and wants to make a difference and helps our second power play unit and in their 20 seconds of time that they take 15 of those seconds trying to get in the zone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And that's that's the thing I liked about that unit is Gaudet and, and Bertanen are, are two of the best on that second unit at gaining the zone, right? And uh, throughout the season, you know, when that second power play unit didn't have Adam Gaudet on it or Jake Bertanen on it, they only scored one goal in uh, in the whole season because if you remember the start of the year, uh, neither of those two players were playing on the power play. And ever since they were, that second unit took off. Uh, having Gaudet and Vertanen on that power play unit actually scores at a higher rate. Uh, than the first power play unit did throughout the season. So that's that's something that you want to get these guys out there to score goals. And, you know, people were very excited to get Jake back in the lineup with his 18 goals. And they're saying, we need that offense. We need that offense. But now you look and it's like, you know, Adam Gaudet had 12 goals himself. He, he was on pace to get to probably, you know, 13, 14 goals, maybe 15 if he had a good little run at the end of the game. And he played only 59 games. So that's 10 less than Jake. Um, I, I think that Adam Gaudet brings a lot more offense than a lot of people believe right now. And I think he could bring a lot. And, uh, the way that I finished the article that people are going to see on Wednesday is, you know, this Canucks team rides an emotional wave throughout these playoffs. We saw how high they were on themselves in the first two games. We've seen how low they were, uh, you know, at certain times in game four. And how much would a god at Selly, you know, to maybe tie the game or break a tie? Like a god at Selly would put this team through the roof right now. We need it. We need any type of boost. But, yeah, I, <laughs> I agree with you that way. And um, I think the face-off and it's defensive, but uh, zone, that's what you got to worry about. But there are ways that you can mask that. And I, love, I, I want to affirm on another point you made, Chris. And I was saying this right at the start of the playoffs. I, um, I totally agree that our fourth line is more like a third line when it comes to minutes. And right. you knew, and we've seen it, that when push comes to shove, Travis Green will, will mix up his bottom six and take his three best players out of there, where, where either protecting a one-goal lead or trying to get... Uh, uh, trying to cut into a one-goal deficit. He sh- certainly shortens his bench, and it means guys like McEwen and Bertanen and sometimes even Beagle, right, with Pedersen um, double-shifting. Sometimes they're going to get what they got last night, eight, nine, ten minutes. 
Right. No, exactly. And and Clay, I'm gonna we're gonna wrap it up here because I do have an interview to get to. Uh, I'm actually even gonna bring Dave in possibly for a little bit to chat from his vacation. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna set you up with one final question before I let you go. And I appreciate you coming on the co-host. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, and like we kind of talked about in our little break, uh, the time has really flown by as well. Um, so I appreciate you coming in. The last thing I'm gonna leave you with is I'm gonna put you in a suit and tie. I'm gonna put you behind the bench, Clay. What right. would the lineup for you be going into Game 5 with Adam Gaudet in and you have to take a player out? Because I heard you a little bit mention something about possibly having Vertanen up with the Orvat line. So I'm curious to see uh, what you would roll out there in Game 5. And lastly, as I make this prediction, do I have Tyler Toffoli at my disposal or not? No, no Tyler Toffoli tonight. Okay. All right. I'm reading the lineup. We are going to start with a lot of line of Pedersen, uh, Besser, and Miller. I have a second line of Horvat with Pearson, and with Jake Bertanen. My third line is is Sutter, Roussel, and Gaudet on the wing. And my fourth line is indeed Beagle, Mott, and Erickson. So, Zach McEwen, you're coming out of the lineup. We're going to keep our 3D pairings the same, give more minutes to our bottom pairing because they've been fine, they've been tough, and Jacob Marsham's in net. Right on. And I'm wondering what kind of leash you have on Jake Bertanen there, Coach. Um, Pretty short leash. (laughs) uh, Probably as as short as a... uh, no, I, I better not say that. We want to keep this clean. Um, yeah, so, yeah, let's go with a short leash. And if it doesn't work out well, we're tanning up there. Oh, shucks, I just took Erickson out of the lineup. Then who am I going to put up there? Um, well, you got, I think you have Erickson on your fourth line. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. That's, uh, that's right. I took the cue note. You're right. If, if I don't like how it looks, um, I'm gonna put. I'm gonna swap Erickson and Vertanen. Right on. That's good. Your brain's working faster than your head, there, Clay. You're ahead of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. This has been a lot of fun, Clay. For a lot of people that don't know, I remember actually starting the Canucks conversation. I remember reaching out to you to be a potential co-host. Uh, so it took 96 episodes to get you there, but I finally got you, Clay. <laughs> well, I think I was a part of those first six or seven episodes, yeah. um, and I, I appreciate you remembering me from infancy. And I'm, I'm so happy to see what you guys are doing. And any time you need a, a bit of a break or, or need some reinforcements, just let me know, man. Absolutely, Clay. Well, you filled the shoes, the big Italian shoes of David Quadrelli very well. Uh, we're going to get to a couple of interviews now. I'm going to talk with Dave a little bit on the show, uh, and then we're going to get to Jeff Patterson right after that. So thanks a lot, Clay, for joining in. Uh, I'll give you a minute here to plug the channel, let people know what you're bringing every day and what you're doing every game day as well. Awesome. Thank you, friends. You can follow me on Twitter at Canuck Clay, and you can also search up Canuck Clay on YouTube, and that's my YouTube channel, just a shade under 5,000 subscribers, uh, really growing a lot, especially during this postseason. And right there, I do one, two, sometimes three, three vlogs a day, but definitely daily vlogs, uh, post-game, pre-game, uh, previews, recaps, a parody song or two thrown in there. And for this postseason, I have been jumping on YouTube for about an hour. Chris has referenced it a few times. I do a post-game live stream on YouTube where I, I just take your comments, your questions, your suggestions, and we celebrate wins together or we bask, uh, we drown our sorrows together, <laughs> and hopefully tomorrow night it's going to be the former and not the latter. So, Chris, once again, thanks, thanks for everything. I, I'm glad to see your growth, and thank Quads for uh, for letting me fill in, and I, I appreciate your trust. And as always, God bless and go Canucks, go! Absolutely, thanks a lot, Clay. And we appreciate you jumping on. I hope people enjoyed you on this conversation. And for those, uh, we'll give a little inside information. If Brogan Rafferty makes the team next year out of camp, uh, you and I have a little project to work on, a little parody song as well. Yeah, we don't want to spill all the beans, but yes, we've chatted about it already, and I, I think this is going to break the internet. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Let's get on those NHL uh, Fan Choice Awards next year. We'll do it with our song. No offense to but Mary Huey. I don't have the we'll voice like it. Mary. <laughs> awesome, awesome, Clay. 
Well, uh, I'll let you go here, and I know you got a busy day, so I appreciate you taking an hour out of your day to, to jump on the Canucks conversation here, man. All right, take care, Chris. God bless you. All right, guys, and thanks a ton to Clay Emo for joining us there. Make sure to check him out on Twitter at Canuck Clay and on YouTube as well. And now we have a very special guest, I guess, since he's not co-hosting this one for me. Quads, from vacation. How are you doing from your undisclosed British Columbia location? Vacation Quads is in full effect. You saw the photo I sent you. Might have to post that on Patreon. Uh, Wonderful, wonderful time I'm having here. You know, the, the view is beautiful. The backyard of the place that I'm at is right on the ocean. It's wonderful private beach it's just oh man it's wonderful and i'm having the time of my life i must tell you but yeah it's uh it's, it's been a lot of fun and you know there was the coke and rum incident i gotta explain that to people because uh yeah i was getting uh, getting a few dms and some people wondering what was going on with uh with all that so basically you know wyatt uh our, our good buddy i called it coke and rum in a group chat wasn't sure what it meant uh you know I, there's more coke than there is rum in the drink so i was like coke and rum and then you know everybody starts flaming me saying yeah uh it's, it's rum and coke blah 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 i'm like okay fine i didn't know the name and then everybody freaked out it was just i don't know it was it was it was a whole incident in itself now i know it's rum and coke sure but uh until then I was like, there's more Coke than there is rum, so why isn't it Coke and rum? Well, and somebody else pointed out uh, in our group chat that in the in the song Ignition by R. Kelly, he actually mentioned sipping on Coke and rum. I'm like, so what? Oh. I'm drunk are the lyrics. So, uh, wow. I don't know. You also probably don't want to tie yourself along with R. Kelly for a lot of things, but uh, I'm glad you're on vacation right now, Quad, but you did tune into the game a little bit. You had to listen through the radio. Uh, How did you enjoy Batch's call last night? Yeah, Batch was great. I watched most of the game on uh, NHL Live. I was watching most of the game, so I was able to watch most of it. But then, you know, in the third period, that second period was just abysmal. I think the Canucks controlled 18% of the shot share in that yeah. second period. So that was that was really tough to watch. But, uh, yeah, third period, switched to radio. And, yeah, Batch does a tremendous job. We know that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, how can you be optimistic, right? And, I mean, I'll have to listen to Clay's hit because I'm sure he found a way. Um, so I'll have to listen there. But yeah, it was just, you know, when I look at this series and I look at what's happened, like Ryan O'Reilly's been an absolute force, obviously. There's no denying that. And then, you know, the Canucks have Jordan Bennington in net, which really was something they could kind of feast on. And like you said, 444 save percentage on the power play. Sorry, that's not good enough. And then you get Jake Allen. All of a sudden, the Canucks power play is going 0 for 7. And I mean, you know, you, you want the power play to step up. And I mean, you can't even complain about the refs just because how bad they've been both ways, right? And I mean, it's tough to pinpoint one thing, but I just look at the Canucks and I look at what's going on with Ryan O'Reilly. And he's, you know, he's hands down been the best player in this series. And that's, you know, that's some elite company, right? Elias Pettersson's been great this series, yeah. as has Quinn Hughes. But really, you know, that bottom six really has to step up. And there's just not enough support for those guys, right? And I mean, you know, we, we've learned that PD and Quinn are going to be just fine in the postseason, right? Like, we've learned that they can step up their games in the playoffs. We've learned that about them. There was never any doubt for us. I know you and I talked about it a lot on the show. But again, like, they can't do it themselves, right? And when you run into a team like St. Louis, they just can't do it themselves. And I found the deployment really interesting because Elias Patterson has been playing a matchup role for quite a bit, right? Against the O'Reilly line, you know, going against the other team's top line. And I mean... That was something we saw toward the end of the year. Wasn't sure if we were going to see in the playoffs, but, you know, sure enough, that's exactly what we've seen. Exactly, and um, so roster moves are going to be, need to be made, I think. You know, after you lose two games, Travis Green's the kind of guy who, he's the kind of coach that, you know, wants to make a move, wants to change his team around, wants to give them a shake-up for Game 5. 
Clay had Jake for Tannen moving into the top six in Louis Erickson's spot. I know you're not a fan of that, probably. You're wow. a big Louis supporter. Wow. Uh, but I'm wow, curious, Clay. what kind of move would you make? Is Adam Gaudet the move? And, and I'm not going to give you Tyler Toffoli because we discussed that a little bit yeah. on the show. And, we, you know, we're just, it's so up in the air that, you know, if he comes out, Clay mentioned it's going to kind of be like a wrestler coming down the ring in the Royal Rumble. Like, it's just going to shock everyone seeing Tyler Toffoli. Uh, but. It seems like Adam Gaudet is the move. I just want to, I'm curious, what would you change in the lineup uh, going into game five and potentially the rest of the series? Yeah, I think Clay's, you know, Clay's kind of on about how Louis Erickson might need to come out of the top six. I'm not sure if that's been a great line. But, you know, it's interesting because I've just been brainstorming ways that the Canucks can really shut down the O'Reilly line, right? Because I think that's something that they really need to focus a lot of their attention on is Ryan O'Reilly and just shutting him down. So, I mean, you know, I was brainstorming what would a third line look like that you put out that just has no offensive output, but they're literally there to just get hemmed in their own end and not give up a goal, right, to Ryan O'Reilly. And what would that line look like? To me, that third line looks like Louis Erickson, Brandon Sutter, and Tyler Mott, right? If you put them on a third line, I feel like that line's just not getting scored on. I don't know. Just based on how they've played, I think that's your best bet. And you match them against the O'Reilly line. You let the Horvat line uh, go on the weak matchups against whatever uh, like third, fourth line that the Blues have. And then, you know, you put Pedersen against that second line. But again, you're avoiding matching against O'Reilly and you're just telling uh, the Sutter line that hey we really need to shut down O'Reilly and I think that's the line change that needs to happen well, Carl, uh, you know, in with terms that, of the top well, six sorry let me cut in here for a second because I just want you to clarify that a little bit if you're going to take Louis Erickson and you're going to put him on that line to go up against the O'Reilly line with Brandon Sutter and Tyler Mott uh, are you with Clay or are you taking Jake Vertanen and putting him in your top six no I'm putting Zach McEwen in the top six really okay explain yeah, yeah playing okay i mean you you, you want to see more from him obviously but what have you seen from jake for that you've liked like i'm asking you have you seen anything because i haven't yeah I, I think that there was times where he was skating well i think that there was times where he had you know breakdowns in the offensive zone i think of the power play where you know you could see you could literally visually see frustration on tanner pearson's body language yeah jake, exactly when jake completely just flew by the puck in, in a battle so you know there's things like that that aren't great but you know what i i I thought that Jake's been skating well at times. I think that Jake yeah. has a few shots on that. I think he has two shots in this series, but you're right. You know, Zach McEwen has four, but the problem that I have with that is Zach McEwen, I, he, like, don't get me wrong, he's, he's a guy that I like for this Canucks team in the future. I just, I don't like his game over the past two games. I, I thought he's made a couple of mistakes. He made a huge mistake uh, on the Justin Falk goal in game three. I thought he yes, coughed up yeah. the puck a bunch of times in game four. He just he wasn't as great as he as kind of the praise that I gave him because in both the post games I wrote for Canucks Army game one and two I was praising Zach McEwen I made sure to have a couple parts in both those post games to say that Zach McEwen played an excellent game as a fourth liner game three and four it really wasn't there he really looked like a guy who was still not really a registered NHL player at this point like a certified so, NHL player so moving him into yeah. the top six that's a bold move in my eyes. So here's here's the thing, right? When you ask me who I want to put in the top six, am I getting the matchups I want? Because if I am, right, if I am and I'm saying, like, what I said is the Horvat line gets the weak matchups, right? right. If that's the case, then I have Adam Gaudet on that line, on the, on the wing with Horvat. I think that's going to be a line that can really feast on some weaker competition. And I think, you know, it's something that could give the Canucks some success and give them some five-on-five five output. Here's – I'll counter because I, I have a different lineup. I think that – I think that going back to the line that we saw play a lot this year uh, in Antoine Roussel, Adam Gaudet, and Jake Vertanen, play them in a fourth-line role. Make your third line be, because you touched on it, you want it to be a little bit of a defensive line. Maybe Brandon Sutter goes back to play with 
play with uh, Jay Beagle and Tyler Mott. Use them in a third-line role. Use them in that matchup role that uh, Travis Green has used them in in the past as a second matchup line kind of thing. You know, Let Horvat go out there and battle against Ryan O'Reilly. I want that battle. I want... Bo Horvat to go out there and have the potential to win that battle because I think that he does have the, you know, he has the ability to do it if he's playing alongside with Tanner Pearson and still have Louis Erickson on that line to try and limit the def- limit the offense from the O'Reilly line. So I, I don't hate that line sticking together and getting a lot of the matchup against O'Reilly, but when Horvat's not out there, I like the line of Jay Beagle, Brandon Sutter, and Tyler Mott potentially being out there against them for just, a, like you mentioned, a no-event line out there. The only problem is... You know, you're taking away Brandon Sutter, who has been playing pretty well at center. And that's the only negative that I kind of see with that lineup. But yeah. that, that line of Adam Gaudet, Antoine Roussel, and Jake Vertanen controlled the goal share in the about 180 minutes that they played throughout the season. You know, they were a line that almost controlled the uh, the Corsi numbers as well, just under 50% uh, throughout the season. And they played a lot together, so they've built some chemistry together. But just use them at like six minutes of five-on-five time in the whole game because having Vertanen and Gaudet back in your lineup, even if they're only skating six minutes at five-on-five, they're going to bring a lot to your power play on the second unit. Yeah, I mean, that's not a bad idea either. They have to brainstorm. They have to do something different, right? Like, right. you know, the only the only thing I'll say about moving Sutter out is, yes, you're right, he's found success in that third-line role. Yeah. And again, that third line that you mentioned, right, the Gaudet-Roussel-Vertanen line, that was unplayable, right? When that line was back together, that was an unplayable line for Travis Green. Like, he could not play them legitimately. He could not put them out there. They were that bad. Hmm. Again, the, thir- the fourth line there with Sutter on the wing, I'm assuming you're putting Beagle in the center, yeah. you know, it also wasn't a great line in that one game we saw it against the Minnesota Wild, right? And then they made the switch and they find this success. So, I mean, you kind of have to stick with what you know, I think. And, I mean, you know, it's it's obviously not working now, but I don't know if I don't know if going back to the lineup that made you get slaughtered by the Minnesota Wild is really the, you know, the go-to. And, I mean, obviously there's a few changes in there. You don't have to fully anymore. But, again, yeah. like, you've got Louis Erickson. I mean, again, like, the Minnesota Wild really didn't have that line like the O'Reilly line, right? Like, Ryan O'Reilly's dominated this series, right? Yeah. Like, you, you just watch him, and it feels like he's on the ice all the time for the St. Louis Blues. And, yeah, it's just been it, it's, it's been crazy to watch. And, I mean, yeah, the Canucks are going to have to get creative to make this a series. Uh, you know, they're tied at two. They're not out of this yet. And, I mean, you know, I'm sure Clay had a really good take on it and why they'd be able to come back and win this series. But right now, like, it just feels like St. Louis has all the momentum going into the next two games here. Yeah, and I think, you know, coming off with two-game win here, like two wins for the Blues, it, it's going to be tough for the Canucks to bounce back. But, you know, like, I, I heard them talking about this actually a lot on the morning show. I tuned in to hear Drancis hit, and they were talking about um, how much momentum carries through a playoff game because it feels like it almost it almost is how well you're going to bounce back from a loss. That seems like the more momentum that you're going to see. So I'm curious to see what the Vancouver Canucks do. Uh, I'm also curious to hear about the rest of your vacation quads, which I will let you get back to, uh, but I'll give you an opportunity to have any closing remarks or any hot takes you want to spit uh, before you go pound white claws for the next six hours. I'm going to the beach. I don't have any hot takes. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go to the beach. I'm ready to watch the game on Wednesday, and I'm very ready to uh, to do our show when I get back. And I'm, I'm going to be on the main show as well, which I'm very excited for. I've got my mic and everything. But yeah, I'm actually standing outside looking at the water and doing a quick hit, so it's fun. But I see some rain clouds over the hills, so I'm sure I'll have a little bit of time on Wednesday and Thursday to really delve into the numbers. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited for it. And, um, yeah, I'm excited for you to tune into this episode. we got another great guest coming up uh, right after this when we talk to Jeff Patterson of TSN 1040. Uh, and we wrapped up with Clay Emo with, you know, just a great conversation. Got 45 minutes out of Clay. So I think you're going to enjoy this one, Quads. Uh, and, yeah, thanks for jumping on, buddy. I know you didn't want to lose your Ironman streak on the show, similar to what I did a few weeks ago. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. Thanks a lot for having me, Chris. All right, guys, in closing out the episode now, we are lucky to be joined by TSN 1040 reporter Jeff Patterson. J-Pat, how are you doing so far today? Good, Faber. How are you? I'm doing good. You've had a busy day uh, and not much sleep, so how are you feeling about a podcast appearance here? I <laughs> uh, love it. I uh, love the fact that we're talking hockey and playoff hockey in the middle of summer and you know, who knows where it goes from here for the Canucks. So let's make the most of these opportunities we have while they're still playing games and, you know, standing in there, taking the rest swing of the defending Stanley Cup champs. And, you know, I, I get there's sort of this mood around town after a 2 nothing lead gets away from the Canucks that uh, people kind of, kind of sense where this thing's headed. But, you know, there's going to be so much time in the off season to do the deep dives and to pick this organization apart that, you know, enjoy it while it's here. Like, we've waited four months for hockey. It's back now. And, you know, I'll give them every opportunity. I gave them a you know a chance at the outset of the series, and here they are. They've boiled it down to a best of three. Uh, yeah, the last couple of games haven't gone the way they wanted, but uh, you know, don't write them off yet. Uh, we've seen this team come through, especially the young players that uh, continue to lead the way. So, uh, again, save the the post mortem until they are uh, you know until the body is officially cold. Uh, they're still in this thing. Absolutely, and um, and I know that you were just on the media call and the media availability with uh, Travis Green and some players as well. What was your overall vibe from those guys? I mean, they just came off of two losses here, uh, but it seemed like a, you know there was some quiet confidence in some of these players. Look, Travis Green gets it. Uh, you know, he hasn't a ton of experience behind the bench at the NHL level, but he certainly has a ton of experience in the game as a player and working his way to this level. You know, I get it. He's taken that page, sort of uh, the first page out of the coach's handbook, and that is. You know, pump up your players. Like, project this belief in them and in the opportunity. And, uh, you know, it wasn't a quiet confidence. I thought uh, he was outwardly confident. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, I, I think last night, uh, post-game, you know, the, the sting is raw. And, and, you know, you've lost back-to-back and a 2 nothing lead has uh, disappeared in a hurry, right? They, they Sunday, they're sitting there with a 2 nothing lead in the series. And by the end of Monday night, now all of a sudden, it's a, it's a push. And so... Uh, you know, he bristled with a couple of the questions and didn't seem to want to answer an awful lot of questions at the podium in the aftermath of the loss. And, and I get it. I've been around him. I've been around this game for a long time. Like, I understand the sort of the, the dynamic that a coach goes through, but with the night to sleep on it, you know, nothing's changed in the series, right? Like, it's an off day, and yet a completely different tone, I thought, from the coach. Uh, and, uh, look, I, I think it's probably the right call for him. Um, you know, he's not going to carve his players. I'm sure there are things in the game that uh, he doesn't like right now, but at the same time, the things that he does like have put the Canucks in this position that uh, they still got a puncher's chance. So that was kind of my main takeaway, that it was a pretty confident, uh, pretty emphatic Travis Green, not here for experience. They're here to win this thing, and he believes uh, in his group. So uh, I kind of like that tone, to be perfectly honest, from the coach. And, you know, what he says at the podium ultimately isn't going to impact the way the series goes. The series will be won or lost on the ice, but uh, he is the leader of this group, and if he can project some confidence onto them and get them to believe in themselves, then, you know, it probably goes uh, a long way to help this group if, in fact, they're able to somehow get past the St. Louis Blues. Absolutely, and you kind of mentioned it earlier into here. It's it's a best-of-three series from here on out. I think, you know, you give this option to the Canucks before the series, they take that 10 out of 10 times, and, and maybe they weren't expecting you to face a guy like Jake Allen. I'm wondering how much of an impact you think he's had in this series compared to what we saw Jordan Bennington in the first two games. Well, he's done a job, right? Like, he's given them saves, and he's delivered victories, and Bennington wasn't able to do that. And, you know, whether it was the noise around Bennington or the fact that some of the Canucks, and I don't think they're in his head. This guy delivered the Stanley Cup to the St. Louis Blues. 
you know, he just didn't look sharp. And I give Craig Berube credit. Like, I don't think he had until game four to make that switch. Like, I think it was a sort of a now or never thing after game two. Bennington hadn't played well, given up nine goals in two games. Canucks best players were pumping pucks past him. And, you know, the Blues have a belief. Jake Allen's been a starter in the NHL. He's a, uh, by all accounts, just like a ridiculously good teammate. Like, I think the guys are probably thrilled for him to get the opportunity. And they have belief in him. And I think you've seen that in the way that they've played in front of him. But ultimately, the job's on Jake Allen to deliver. You know, have the Canucks done enough to make life difficult on him? No. You know, seven power plays and all they generate were eight shots on goal. Like, the over is tough to swallow when we've all watched this Canuck power play just demolish opponents all season long. So, you know, the fact that they went over, that was bad enough, but it was kind of why they went over, and it was the eight shots in 12 and a half minutes and 12 minutes and 13 seconds of power play time. Like, that's not this Canuck team that I've covered all season long that has just <laughs> steamrolled opponents with the man advantage. They look static out there. Uh, Quinn Hughes bobbling pucks. Like, when has that happened at right. any point in his rookie season? So I don't know if it was the fatigue of back-to-back, if it's the wear and tear that the Blues are, you know, starting to punish the Canucks. They just look off. Like, the best players on the Canucks who, you know, delivered victories in games one and two and have been good throughout the playoffs, they just didn't seem to have it. They were all right in the first period, I thought, with the power play, but, boy, as the game wore on, uh, second period and then the late, late power plays, like, they weren't out of it at 3-1. to one. Like, if they had scored on a power play with six minutes to go, all of a sudden you've got it down to a one-shot game, and they just couldn't do anything. They had two shots over their final four power plays in the hockey game. So, you know, test Jake Allen. Make him make some stops. Like, don't make life easy on him. But, you know, he has uh, settled in here nicely and uh, delivered a couple of victories for the Blues. So the Canucks, the challenge now is uh, whoever's in goal. But I've got to think that it's going to be Jake Allen. It's probably his net until he loses. Uh, Canucks have to find a way to, uh, you know, do a little bit more, maybe get a little greasier. Um, you know, you look at the J.T. Miller goal, like get a deflection, get a, you know, screen uh, in front of the net. Do It's all the cliche stuff that has to happen, but it wasn't happening for the Canucks on the power play. And I think that was my big surprise just because I kind of figured, you know, in game three, the Canucks lamented that they didn't get many chances, right? They had the two power plays and they scored on one of them, not really the conventional power play goal with Miller streaking down the wing, but they all count. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, to get seven opportunities, I just kind of figured, all right, you know, they misfired on the first three, but you give them a fourth, like, this group's good enough, they'll get it sorted out, and it just never arrived for them in game four. Yeah, it's it's been a strange look, I guess, for this power play, and then there's certain things that just seem to be working at certain points of the series, and some things just seem to not be clicking in the last couple of games. And and I think one of them that people are starting to become a little bit more aware of over these past couple is the usage of Brock Besser on the power play unit. Um, and, and similar possibly with, with Bo Horvat as well. I mean, you see it almost every first power play with Elias Pettersson. He's going to try and use that wrist shot where he just kind of guides the puck off of Bo Horvat's stick on a tip in towards the net. He seems to do that every first power play that they go out there, and then he might go away from it if they don't score a goal. Uh, I, I'm wondering because it just seems like 90, maybe like 95% of the time, the puck's just kind of moving between JT Miller, between Elias Pettersson, and between Quinn Hughes. What is it that they can do, do you think, to include Brock Besser and Bo Horvat a little bit more in that unit? Well, I think we've seen throughout the season, Newell Brown's been pretty good. Like, I know he takes heat about the drop pass. Look, every team in the NHL uses the drop pass. Like, it's not the Canucks, right? Like, I know people focus on the Canucks, but if you flip on another game, you're going to see the drop pass. But Newell Brown kind of gets beaten over the head about that part of it. But, you know, it can be an effective entry tool. But I also think Newell Brown did a pretty good job. If you think back through the season, uh, he has flipped. Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser and had them on their downhill side so that they could attack the net. And when they do that, 
you know, they have shooting options, but they're on their forehands and they're better playmakers as well. And, you know, I think that's where you can involve the guy in the mum- in the bumper spot. So, uh, yeah, I didn't get, like, you know, there are certain nights when that power play is dialed in and you can feel it, but there are also nights where the power play doesn't have it, and I think you can feel that. And as the game wore on, it just kind of was screaming for some adjustments. And I get that Besser is essentially... You know, a placeholder for Tyler Toffoli, but Brock Betts was a proven goal scorer. Like, he can't be an afterthought on the power play. Mm. And there just weren't any touches for him or for Horvat last night. And, you know, Bo Horvat leads this team in power play goals, and we've seen him score already in this series from that bumper spot. So, yeah, you're right. Like, the Blues seemed fully content to let Patterson move the puck to Hughes and Hughes to Miller and back and forth. They went there around the perimeter. And through all of that, you didn't seem to have a lot of motion down low. I didn't have guys that seemed to be opening up lanes and... You know, I was surprised at that, again, because I've seen this power play dominate, and these guys are smart enough and they're good enough, and whether it's Newell Brown or whether it's just the players, you know, in the moment, on the fly, sort of improving, what they were doing last night didn't work. So, you know, I, I know now that there are questions being asked about Brock Besser. It's funny, like, midway through that Minnesota series, Travis Green proclaimed that maybe that was the best that they've ever seen of Brock Besser, and people were raving about the battle level and the compete and all those types of things. He's picking up points. Mm-hmm. Like, it's impossible to say that he's not contributing to the Canucks and the fact that they're in this 2-2 tie with the St. Louis Blues, but there just doesn't seem to be a wow factor around Besser right now, right? Like, he's got the opportunities back on the lotto line. Like, that's where he wants to be. And he had two shots in the first period. They both came on the power play. Nothing at evens. He has four shots in this series through four games. And the first two shots came in overtime of game three. So he went 60 minutes of that game, the first 60 minutes without uh, putting pucks on net. This is a volume shooter, right? Like, you've got to get him the puck in spots to use what we think is still his best weapon. But when I look at the goals that he scored here in the playoffs, you know, a tap in at the side of the net in game two against Minnesota and game three kind of falling away, mm-hmm. uh, good work in front of the net and was able to shovel a backhand in. But where's the wrist shot? Like, this was bread and butter for Brock Besser, 29 goals as a rookie, and he followed it up with 26 the following year. And he was just blistering the best goaltenders in the National Hockey League. They didn't stand a chance when he had time and space out in front of them. And so I do wonder a little bit, like, you know, is there a problem with the shot? Everybody comes back to the wrist. But, look, you were at training camp as well. Like, he was on fire at training camp. And I get it's a summer training camp. But, like, we saw him ripping wrist shots. Like, there was nothing wrong with the wrist. There was nothing wrong with the shot at training camp. He just hasn't been able to apply that in these games that matter, despite the fact that he's playing with the two most talented players or two most talented forwards on this team. Like, he's got his spot on the lotto line. You just want to see him make the most of it, but it has gone a little quiet around Brock Besser right now. Yeah, and I remember seeing, you know, post-practice work being put in by Brock Besser and Elias Pettersson. They had Quinn Hughes at the top, both firing one-timers off of him. Uh, I just, I wonder if that's an option because, you know, JT Miller... We saw him on the power play in Tampa Bay. That was his spot right there behind the net, setting up the bumper guy, setting up the right shot guy on the left side, you know, rotating behind the net and setting up possibly on Pedersen's side. I think that that might be somewhat of a move. And, you know, Brock Besser does get that chance. When he gets that two steps in, you know, when he was in his rookie season, it reminded me of seeing Marcus Naslin take the two steps towards the center and just ripping that wrist shot. And, and I think we've seen some some pretty good shots. I think of the one that just rang off of uh, uh, Jake Allen's shoulder a little bit. I mean, like, he, he got all that shot. And you mentioned it. We saw some pretty good, you know, definitely some good pace behind that shot in training camp. And I think that he did bring a lot of that into the Minnesota Wild Series. And the problem that I have right now with seeing what Brock Besser is doing is the way that it's, 
it's almost stopping some of the play at 5-on-5 in the offensive zone. The thing that I hated to see in Game 4 was that they just weren't able to put together three good passes in the offensive zone, it felt like. And I think that some of that's coming from what Brock Besser's doing in the offensive zone at 5-on-5. And I wonder, with that lotto line, is there something you're seeing from this Blues team that's just absolutely shutting them down? Because, you know, the analytics back it up that they just have not been great against the O'Reilly line. Uh, Possession numbers seem to be okay when they get away from that line. But it just seems like they just can't put a couple passes together when they're in the offensive zone. Right, and I think most observers of this series right now are just heaping you know, all sorts of praise on Ryan O'Reilly, and I am too. Yeah. I, absolutely I am, but it's not just O'Reilly. Like O'Reilly is lights out good. His anticipation, his hand-to-eye, uh, his de- use of deception, his ability to sort of you know, play mind games with guys and, and force them to places on the ice that he wants them to go. Like It's incredible, mm. the, sort of the influence that he has in the offensive end as a four-checker. So, like, I'm blown away. This guy was good, obviously, on the run to the Stanley Cup. He got the con Smythe, and it feels like he may have taken his game to another level. But it's never just one guy. I mean, sometimes it is if it's McKinnon <laughs> or McDavid. But, but you know, that line, like, Perron is, Perron's got enough skill to finish when they get the puck to him, but he's also got so much, you know, grease and grit. Like, you know, you can see why guys can't stand playing against him, but, man, he's effective, and, you know, Jaden Schwartz got speed if they can open him up as well. And I think, too, that, you know, on the rare occasion when it doesn't go well for O'Reilly, it's generally Petrangelo and Gunnarsson out there as well. And so it's a five-man group, and, you know, Petrangelo, I think you're seeing why he is uh, as good as he is and why he's going to get paid, whether it's in St. Louis or elsewhere. Uh, you know, just a big body he's got the range and you know it's not a flashy game obviously but he's just so effective uh at both ends of the ice too so you know it's a lot of it's o'reilly like he's the driver out there there's no doubt and but they back it up with such a solid combination it seems every time that he's on the ice so uh now it's back to the blues having last change and we'll see if they want to continue to i would imagine they would want to continue to, to dictate that matchup but Remember, when they had last change, that freed up Bo Horvat to run wild in the first couple of games. So, you know, if you're looking for signs for the Canucks that are encouraging, I think you have to go back to uh, games one and two. And, yeah, maybe at five on five, it hasn't worked for the lotto line. Uh, Travis Green talked about the need to play more in the offensive end. I, I thought the first period, like, I liked the first period of game four for the Canucks, even though they were behind one nothing at the end of the first. Yeah. I thought, like, coming off the game the night before games all kind of run together uh, the deeper you get into a series. But, you know, when you think of game three, like the Canucks could barely come up for air, right? Like, they were absolutely smothered. Oh, yeah. And even though it was a close game and it went to overtime, you know, territorially in the third period, like, the Canucks had nothing. Like, they had no offensive chances. They didn't look like they were in danger to win the hockey game. They were a little bit better in overtime. But, really, the Blues tilted the ice there. I was worried coming out of game three that game four was going to look and feel a lot the same that you know there wasn't much turnaround time the Canucks wouldn't have had a lot of time to uh, make adjustments and yet I was really encouraged by the way that they took the play to the Blues in the first period they drew penalties they spent time in the St. Louis end and unfortunately for them they just didn't have anything to show for it but that doesn't negate a lot of the good that they had done and so you know there's your blueprint the problem was they got to the second period and that's when it reverted to a night earlier and that second period last night, like, you know, the rest of the series can't look or feel like that or the Canucks are going to be in all sorts of trouble. So they got to stay out of the penalty box, obviously, but even at even strength, they just, they got to find a way to 
get the puck into the St. Louis end and work it there. And, you know, if it's their best players, great, because they can generate off uh, the work down low. You know, I've come to this point where, man, what a depth goal would do for the Vancouver Canucks at this stage as well. And, you know, maybe I shouldn't have expectations, but, you know, it just it feels wrong that the Blues, uh, and it's not that the Blues depth players are outscoring the Canucks, but they are playing a role, right? They're wearing the Canucks down. Like, you're noticing guys like Blay and Sundquist and McKeckern, and they get in on the forecheck, and they finish all their checks, and... You know, I'm just not sure that you can say the same about the Canucks. Like, even if Tyler Moss getting in on the forecheck, I don't know if he's leaving any kind of mark on any of the St. Louis Blues defenders. Uh, you know, Antoine Roussel goes through a game where you know he doesn't have a hit, he doesn't have a shot. The only thing that I remember was the quick punch on Sammy Blay. Like, there's got to be more from a guy like Antoine Roussel in a series that is starting to heat up here. So, uh, you know, look, it's time. It feels like it's time for somebody other than the top liner to contribute to the cause. And you look at the Minnesota series, Roussel scored, Sutter scored, Chris Tanev scored the overtime winner. Like, all of those goals came in Canuck victories. Like, look what happens when, you know, you get just even a slight contribution from somebody a little bit lower in the lineup. It, yeah, you want your best guys to go, but there are going to be nights like last night where the top-line guys uh, aren't having the effect that they want. And in those situations, man, you'd love to see somebody else somewhere in the lineup pick up your top scores, and that just really hasn't happened for the Vancouver Canucks. I think if you include Quinn Hughes as a top player, and you should, 20 of the 24 goals the Canucks have scored have come from Hughes or, you know, a top six forward. There's just been nothing in the way of contributions from the depth guys. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you said maybe we shouldn't expect a ton from them, but I mean, yeah, there are players on this team that, you know, have to contribute, have to step up. And and I think right now Travis Green has to look at making a change potentially. Uh, I know you're going to be asked this question probably 100 times in the next uh, uh, 24 hours pretty much as we approach game time. Do you think Adam Gaudet gets into the lineup here for game five? I certainly think he should. I think it's time. They've lost back-to-back. You know, he represents some offense at the very least. He can move up and down the lineup. I know that, uh, you know, he's essentially slotted as the third-line center, but there's been some times he's played the wing as well. It doesn't really matter to me where he's in. I just think if he's in uniform, you know, he's an option you have where other guys, uh, it's just not happening for them. So, you know, could you play him as the third-line center and bump Sutter down to the fourth line again? Yeah, I certainly could. Could you insulate Adam Gaudet? Like, if that's the issue, if that's why he has been out of the lineup since game one against Minnesota, you know, maybe you use Sutter as a security blanket and play him with the Roussel and Sutter. You know, at that point, then your options to come out of the lineup would be Mott or uh, McEwen or, or Vertan. And I don't think Tyler Mott's coming out just because of the penalty killing part. And, mm-hmm. you know, Travis Green had some faint praise for Jake Vertanen and the, the fact that he bumped him up last night to take Louis Erickson's spot in the lineup. I guess Erickson's the other candidate that could come out as well. So I do think it's time. Like, you know, Craig Berube. He pushed the right buttons when he made the lineup changes he did. Some of them were forced by injury. We found out that, you know, Tarasenko's done. He's out of the bubble now. So, uh, you know, they've had other guys step in, and I just think it's time. Like, it's one player. Is Adam Gaudet going to turn the series on its ear? I would say no. But I do think that Adam Gaudet uh, represents a, a little bit more of an offensive thrust. And, you know, I think back to, to training camp in September. Remember training camp in the before times way back when in Victoria? Oh, yeah. Like, there was a motivated Adam Gaudet that showed up and earned a spot on the roster with an incredible camp, and then into the preseason, he was the best player hands down. Like, you know, could we see a repeat of that where he's a little pissed off that he has been held out of the lineup and he hasn't been able to play? Like, I like the idea of injecting a motivated Adam Gaudet at this stage of this series just to give the Canucks a little bit of a jump and a slightly different look 
wherever Travis Green might use him. Absolutely, and I think that the way that you're going to look at that bottom six, if you are going to keep Louis Erickson on that second line, which you know I expect Travis Green to do, I think he likes having you know a guy like that that can kind of just limit the defensive play, you know, or at least augment the defensive play, I guess, for that Horvat line when they're in their zone. And, and you brought up a good point; it's something that I talked about earlier in this episode. Uh, the lineup that I see is, is Travis Green going back to a bottom six that he was comfortable with throughout the season. I mean, the most consistent line that we saw Adam Gaudet play with was Antoine Roussel on his left wing and Jake Vertanen on his right wing, and that does bump. Brandon Sutter down. I know that Brandon Sutter's played pretty well at center. Travis Green has placed, praised him for that uh, throughout these playoffs. So does that work? Does that make you think that we are going to see Gaudet on a wing spot and maybe just jumping into the lineup for a Zach McEwen? Or do you think that Green is comfortable going away from having Brandon Sutter as a center? I think he has to be open to it. Like, look, Brandon Sutter has been good. Like, I give Brandon Sutter a lot of credit. Yeah. I, you know, I, I had low expectations just based on what we had seen with yeah. injuries, the fact that he kind of missed a couple of sessions in the training camp too. Like, I didn't know how healthy he was, and you know, he surprised me. And and so good on him. But even saying that, like, a surprisingly good Brandon Sutter is still Brandon Sutter, right? <laughs> like, his game has been better than I expected he's been involved but at the end of the night there isn't an awful lot in the way of a takeaway and I certainly don't think Brandon Setter can be a third line center over the long term at this stage of his career he's 31 and we know his limitations right like he's he doesn't have on ice vision he's not a playmaker he's not a puck distributor he doesn't make guys around him better where Adam Gaudet I, I think can yeah. and Gaudet's got the defensive Liabilities, And so I think there are ways that you can get Cadet back in there as the center. You can keep Sutter in the lineup. I, I don't think Jay Beagle is coming out of the lineup. And, you know, for me, I, and I've always felt, I know I'm not alone, but there's such redundancy with Sutter and Beagle. Like, I, I thought it was a tough night for Jay Beagle at this stage of his career to go back-to-back. And I think you saw that. He was on the ice for the, both of the power play goals. He was 40% in the face-off circle and doesn't register a shot attempt. So if he's not winning face-offs and he's not killing penalties effectively, you know, what is he to the Vancouver Canucks? And yet they signed him for this time of year with his championship pedigree, and I think it would be an indictment, you know, on the signing if all of a sudden when the chips are down against the defending Stanley Cup champs, you know, this guy came out of the lineup, but maybe that is the move that should happen. I just don't think that it's going to happen, but you could then slide Sutter into the fourth line center position and Beagle is the guy that would come out of the lineup. Mm. You know, like I live in a parallel universe where that would absolutely happen. I just don't see it happening in the real universe in which I live <laughs> and in which the Canucks are playing right now. Yeah, no, I could see what you're saying with that, especially with Travis Green wanting to trust those guys and need them in this penalty kill group. I mean, aside from game four, uh, I thought that that duo of Mott and Jay Beagle has just been excellent at limiting what the St. Louis Blues have been able to do on the power play. So I, I wouldn't see them going away from that either, but I do like the idea because if you put that line together of a Tyler Mott, a Brandon Sutter, and a Jay Beagle, we saw Travis Green use it all throughout the year. You know, when McDavid's double shifting and he's not playing against the Horvat line, you know, you see the Jay Beagle, Brandon Sutter, Tyler Mott line go out. I, I'm curious to see what maybe that line can do against the Ryan O'Reilly line at times. Maybe they're not going to get the matchup every single time, and they probably shouldn't because I, I'd like to see the Horvat line go up against them or when the lotto lines gets away from them and then they get another shift that's when i could see that defensive line of beagle sutter and mott being able to be you know at least given a shot to be able to maintain some of the defensive zone awareness and and keep that o'reilly line off the score sheet at five on five because travis green trusts that group he trusts that trio to be in his defensive zone yeah and yet you know he threw the beagle line the other night against o'reilly 
in game number three, and they just got absolutely crushed. I think the yeah. shots were seven That's to one uh, at even strength when O'Reilly was going out against the you know supposed second checking line of the Vancouver Canucks. So you know, I, I come back to the fact, like I, I've tried to sort of identify a pathway forward for the Canucks to to win this series now, and and it's going to be difficult. Obviously, I still think there's there's a win in them. Are there two? You know, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I go back to the fact that, you know, they're not going to have last change, and I think they're going to be at the mercy of O'Reilly against Pedersen for the most part. And I like the idea of a rested and motivated Bo Horvat. You know, he was that good in those first couple of games, and if that's the matchup game that the Blues want to play, it does free up Horvat. And I'm not expecting highlight real goals each and every time, but, I mean, it's been a hell of a series for him, obviously. But that's the blueprint. Like, they won those first two with Patterson being limited by O'Reilly, but it did free up Horvat. And so, uh, you know, there's a, a recent history there of success for the Vancouver Canucks. And they did, you know, I, I don't like the idea of saying they're a tired team because all these guys have been off for so long. Yeah. Uh, but going back to back with overtime in game three, and, and, you know, both teams were involved. It's not just the Canucks, obviously. But, you know, I, I saw some uncharacteristic what I thought were mental mistakes and so maybe a little bit of uh, mental fatigue you know for the second series playing four and six and with those back-to-backs and you know I just it, it felt like a team that needed a day off today so they're getting a day off uh, gonna have some sort of team meeting tonight and then they'll have all day tomorrow as well if they can be a little bit fresher you know let's see I mean you know pro sports is a funny thing like pressure does strange things to people uh, if the Canucks can push the Blues to the brink of elimination with another win, you know, how do the champs respond? They were good in those situations last year, but that was then. So that's why I say, like, I, I just give the Canucks a chance. I, I still feel fairly confident that there's another win left in the Vancouver Canucks, and if it comes in Game 5, then all of a sudden, you know, now there's zero margin of error for the St. Louis Blues in Game 6. And remember, like, Jake Allen's a backup goaltender. Like, it, mm. he lost his job for a reason, and there's still the potential that backup Jake Allen shows up in this series and, you know, maybe there's a bad goal or two along the way. Who knows? I mean, that's why they play the games, but uh, I still remain confident that uh, the Canucks have another win there somewhere deep in their bag of tricks. Absolutely, and I think that you you mentioned it earlier in this conversation. I just wanted to bring it up one more time as we close this out. Uh, Five goals for the Canucks at five-on-five so far in the four games against the St. Louis Blues. You're not seeing a lot of offense be generated from them. You're not seeing a lot of possession in the offensive zone. I think aside from a couple periods, uh, the St. Louis Blues has dominated every single period at 5-on-5 for shot attempts. But the one shot attempt number that sticks out to me is Elias Pettersson. In four games, 60 minutes plus of 5-on-5 ice time, only six shot attempts. Uh, Are we not seeing him just shoot the puck enough? Because, you know, one of those six was a shot where he roofed it over Jake Allen as he's falling over there and scores a goal. When I see six shot attempts, that's one per every ten minutes of ice time for Elias Pettersson at five on five. To me, that's that's just not enough Elias Pettersson shots. I know this kid has one of the best shots in the NHL, and, and I think we need to see a little bit more at five on five from him. Yeah, and and I'm uh, you know I'm sure he feels the same way. Now again, credit to O'Reilly and the defensive pairings that uh, have sort of thrown a blanket over the the Canucks at even strength. But you know, I also think we've all watched Elias Pettersson for two seasons now we watched him in that first game against minnesota where the wild was all over him and again he's just you know one of his biggest gifts is the way that he processes the game and and figures things out and so you know he takes all these challenges on and usually comes out on top and so you know for the Canucks to be 2-2 against the st louis blues where elias Pettersson has had an impact but most of it as you say on special teams 
you know, there is a way that you can look at that as an encouraging sign for the Canucks if if he can figure it out, if he can get away from O'Reilly, if they can spend a little more time on the offensive end and get a few more shot attempts. Because you saw what happened the other night, a quick breakdown, uh, you know, Scandella and Pareko collide, and it doesn't take Pedersen long, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy's <laughs> the ultimate opportunist. And then we saw that big shot of his go post it in. So uh, need a little bit more of that. But I just I, I love the fact that you know even if the Canucks go quietly here in this series, you know guaranteed two more games to watch Elias Pettersson. Like it's been an absolute joy to watch this guy play playoff hockey, right? Like we've all waited five years for the Canucks to get back in, it hasn't been five years for Pettersson. But you know we knew, like we knew that he was lights out in the regular season, and that he would probably be that good in the playoffs as well. And you know the same thing goes for Quinn Hughes. Like it, it's really exciting to see these guys for the most part, get it figured out. Like, they certainly haven't been overwhelmed at any point. Maybe game one against Minnesota, there was a little bit of a feeling-out process. But since then, you know, they've got it sorted out. So I expect to see more from Elias Pettersson. And to have this thing boiled down to a best of three where, you know, like, there's nothing that says that goaltending and power play can't win them the series, right? Like, even for the issues at five-on-five, and they exist, we're we're foolish to ignore them, and and we're not. I mean, that's why we're talking about them, but... (laughs) Hockey can be a funny game, and you know, power play that was as bad as it was in Game Four could easily turn around. We've already seen them score three times in a game uh, in this series against the Blues. So, you know, I like the fact that Markstrom seems to be back at or near the top of his game. I like the fact that you know Quinn Hughes has been as good as he's been and as productive as he's been. And you know, I think these guys will take it personally that they had a chance last night and the power play kind of fizzled on them. Uh, I don't anticipate that we'll see that happen again if they can get some power play opportunities. But you're right. Like This is a team that's got to sort this thing out. Uh, again, if the ice is tilted in St. Louis's favor, uh, it's going to make an already uphill climb that much steeper for the Canucks. So, um, again, I, I kind of go back to what I saw in the opening period of Game 4. I think that that part gives me reason to believe that, you know, there is a way forward for the Canucks here, but they're going to have to get out there and execute and... Let's see if they do it. But, uh, you know, I, I, I like where they are in this series. I know people are down because they've lost back-to-back games, but uh, give these guys a chance. You know, uh, young players have stepped up. The Canucks' best players have been the best players in the playoffs, and uh, they're good enough. There's enough talent there. Uh, to del- I, I, I think there is enough talent there to deliver two more wins, but obviously if they don't get the win in Game 5, you know, it's going to make life pretty difficult on them. So, uh too bad we can't fast forward until uh, Wednesday night, but uh, the Canucks probably uh, wouldn't want that anyhow. I think they need all the time they can get here to rest up to be ready for the fifth game of this series. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect day for a day off. Uh, unfortunately, you haven't gotten a day off yourself, Jeff, but I hope you get some hours off during the day here. Uh, I appreciate you jumping on, and uh, I've been enjoying the post-game shows with yourself, Blake Price, and then you going in to the wee hours of the night. I'll keep you on uh, as I'm passing out every night here after the games. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me on. It's always fun to talk hockey with you. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Jeff. And that does it for this week's episode of the Canucks Conversation Podcast. I want to give a big thank you to Clay Emo, Canuck Clay on Twitter, for joining us there as a co-host on this week's episode, filling in for David Quadrelli, who also joined us live from his vacation 
spot in a in a hidden part of British Columbia that I will not be getting into. Uh, and we also want to give a quick shout out as well to who you just heard there, Jeff Patterson, for joining us there to break everything down from this Canucks series as we look forward into Game Five of this thing. It should be a heck of a game as long as the Canucks decide to do something different and not get their asses handed to them like they did in Game Four. So I'm excited to get to Wednesday's game, and I hope that you guys are as well. We're going to continue on with more Canucks conversation content. Be sure to follow along with our writings as well on CanucksArmy.com. And uh, that's basically all I got for you guys. We're going to have a special Patreon episode for all of our Patreon donors. I got Rob Fay from Rob Fay Nation, TSN 1040, coming to join us here for Wednesday. We're going to have some fun. We're going to shoot it, and we're going to have a lot of fun uh, off-air behind the paywall with Rob Fay. So if you want to get involved with the Patreon, it is Patreon.com slash CanucksConvo. And the final thing I wanted to ask, if you have not rated and reviewed the show yet, I would really appreciate that because we're currently at 96 ratings uh, with an average rating of five stars. And if you guys could be kind enough to get us four more uh, and get us over the 100 mark, that would be awesome. That's a big number for us to uh, to celebrate a little bit on the show. Uh, and we have 96 ratings through 96 episodes. So I think we can get to 100 ratings before episode 100, which is just around the corner. Um, so for Clay Emo, for David Quadrelli, for Jeff Patterson, my name is Chris Faber, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Canucks Conversation. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.